You may not have noticed, but if I call your attention to it, you will, that every song we have sung this morning has mentioned angels. Angels, Christmas, Christmas and angels, bread and butter, Ben and Tara, you know, not just all of yes. <laughs> They just go together, don't they? And they do, Christmas and angels. Um, the songs that we sing at Christmas in which angels are mentioned are prominent. In fact, here are just some. Some we've, we have sung this morning. Angels from the realms of glory. Hark the herald angels sing. Angels we have heard on high. The first Noel. Joy to the world. O holy night. O little town of Bethlehem. What child is this? It came upon a midnight clear. Do you hear what I hear? Etc., etc., etc. Angels and Christmas, they go together. In fact, the first song that we sang, here's the first line. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo, we sing. Gloria in excelsis Deo, we sing again in Latin. Glory to God in the highest. Angels sing, and the mountains, the earth responds. We see heaven and earth, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. We see the meeting of heaven and earth by those angels from this unseen realm. This is part of the mystery of godliness. It is part of the mystery of Christmas, the mystery of Advent. Who are these beings? Why are they here? The mystery of godliness is our theme, a common confession, a Christmas confession. 1 Timothy 3.16, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit and today seen by angels and proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Remember, Paul is most likely quoting a hymn that was written by someone else that was sung in the other churches, and it was something that they believed, and they would say it together. This is a, our common confession that we say together. This mystery of godliness is great. It's beyond our imagining. And the mystery of godliness, as Paul has portrayed it generally in all of the New Testament, is the mystery of salvation, the mystery of the gospel. How and when and why and who? It's mysterious. He, he hid it in ages past and throughout the ages he unfolded it through the prophets, finally revealed in his son and we still don't understand the full force of the mystery of Christmas and the incarnation. And so this confession is about this great mystery of Godliness, the incarnation, but also godliness as it comes to us. Now, we are justified by faith. Confession tells the story of the gospel, his incarnation, his resurrection, the proclamation of Christ to the earth, the response of the gospel by the world, and the ascension of Christ into glory and in glory and by glory. The confession does not specifically mentioned the death of Christ or the resurrection of Christ, but it is at least implicit in a poetical way. 
or else Paul just chose a portion of this hymn and another portion explained it, but it is there, the whole gospel message is in this confession. This is what we say, we believe, we believe it together. And so, in regards to the angels and the message that they proclaimed and what we are talking about this morning, we're going to read some scripture about angels. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And I know you are recently sat down, but you're going to, in a moment, stand up. Because, please give attention to the reading of scripture, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word, for that is what it is this morning. His word to us, Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, and we believe that this morning. Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their flocks and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Father, would you make known to us the unseen realm of the Spirit of God and your holy angels that attend us, that we might be better worshipers and proclaimers of your truth without fear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen through these some of the words to these hymns, heaven and nature, heaven and earth. We see the bridging of this gap, and so that's what our Two lines this morning are all about seen by angels and proclaimed among the nations. And so, first instance, we want to talk about the heavenly communication of the mystery. The heavenly communication of this mystery of godliness seen by angels. Seen by angels and then proclaimed among the nations. Admittedly, this is the most obscure line, the most obscure two words in the original, seen by angels. It's just two words. Uh, it's the most obscure, um, hardest to probably interpret. What is he talking about? Proclaimed among the nations. That's easy, right? What is this thing about angels, though? Remember, Paul didn't write this. We don't know the authorial intent of whoever wrote this, but Paul inscripturated it. But why angels? Why bring this up at this point? In Pauline theology, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, when he gives his treatise about the gospel, and he says, I, I make known to you the gospel, which is 
Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to many, no mention of angels, none whatsoever. So why angels? What is, can we just skip over that? They don't play that big of a part, do they? Now here's the point, one of the points. The mystery of godliness involves the realm of the spiritual world. When we're talking about the mystery of godliness, we're talking about an unseen reality, a spiritual world that is real. We tend to forget that sometimes. We tend to forget as, as Christians that there is this realm beyond this realm, a world beyond this world that is spiritual, that is supernatural, and that is part of this mystery of godliness. The previous two lines in the confession were, he was revealed in the flesh and he was vindicated in the spirit, revealed in the, fl- in the flesh, obviously, speaking of his incarnation, vindicated by the spirit or in the spirit, most likely speaking of the fact that he was raised by the spirit of God from the dead, his resurrection, and that what that does is it vindicated his claim to deity. It, made, it proved his claim that he was indeed the Son of God. Yes, he came in the flesh, but his resurrection by the Spirit of God proved it, made it known, it vindicated his words. Yes, he is the Son of God. Yes, he is the great I Am. And so vindicated in the Spirit introduces the idea of spiritual things in the spiritual realm, the mystery of his incarnation, and all that the incarnation achieves is miraculous. Jesus' ministry was not just some guy who came and taught well and went around and did good things for people. No, he was God in human flesh. When he spoke, his words had power, miraculous power. When he, when he healed and he raised people from the dead, it was all miraculous, every bit of it. For us, you've heard me say many times, everything is spiritual. At some level, everything has a spiritual component that we always must be aware of. And so, even when it comes to salvation, one must believe in the spiritual world, in order to understand and believe in God. If you're going to understand and believe in God, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you must believe in a spiritual world. You must believe in the, in the supernatural and in the miraculous. In Hebrews 11 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. That he exists. That God exists. And that is where we start. God exists. And what kind of a God is he? He's a miraculous God. He's an, uh, a merciful God. He is an infinite God. He is over all. It is all quite supernatural and not at the level of fantasy like Harry Potter and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future and pixie dust, and reindeers that fly, all fun. But this is a real spiritual reality of an unseen world that has been revealed to us by God. 
Because he himself has punctuated this world. He's come from one realm to the other. He joins the two worlds. Jesus is the, the manifestation of his world to this world, of, the, wor- of the, the unseen world of heaven to earth. As we saw in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and there is one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. God is holy, he is high, he is lifted up, he is, as the theologians say, he is transcendent, he is beyond us, he's beyond our comprehension, he dwells in unapproachable light, and yet he is imminent. He comes down to us, he condescends, he comes into this world, and he makes known to us who he is, because he is gracious. This this world of flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And this world of flesh and blood is different from the world of heaven. And Jesus is that great mediator. And he also uses angels to mediate and to minister between these, these worlds. So why angels? Well, here's the reason. The angelic realm plays a key role in the mystery of Christ's incarnation. The angelic role play the angelic realm rather plays this key role when we see seen by angels and then they proclaimed what they saw. In these six lines, these two words have great significance. The angelic participation in the the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, I I can hardly uh, uh, overstate it. I could not overstate it. It's not just in the Christmas hymns that we sing. You can go through, and, and even the ones that we will sing at the end, angels are present everywhere. But when you look at all the scripture, angels are indeed everywhere. You see the angelic realm with the incarnation of Christ And the material, the biblical material is voluminous. So the word angel means messenger. And it can be used of a human being, but not very often. And most often time that the word angel is used, it is used of supernatural beings. And it is used specifically of good supernatural beings. Yes, there are bad angels. But far and away, the most time, excuse me, times, that angels is used, it is speaking of these supernatural beings that are messengers of God for good. Hundreds of times in the scriptures, angels are mentioned. And usually when, when angels appear, people are frightened because they're undone. Something happens. They see that glimpse into the other world into the realm of the supernatural and the goodness of God, and their their first thought is, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? Something is wrong, and I'm undone because of my sin. By the way, normally when angels appear on the earth to people, they don't have wings. They appear like just human beings. Sometimes they're not known to be angels. Sometimes they're mistaken. Hebrews says that sometimes they're, that people entertain angels without knowing it. But sometimes when they, when they come on earth to give messages, people don't really understand who they were until they're gone. Sometimes they come in dazzling appearance, and the glory of God is seen, and they know it right away. But they have different reasons for coming in different times. But they're heavenly they come from a different realm and they are 
They possess this a glory that is different from from that of the earth. And what it does is it in, imparts fear into the hearts of human beings. Um, here is something I would encourage you to do. Um, I would encourage you to, to take a concordance or if you have Bible software and, and search the word angels in just the New Testament, you'll be blown away. You will be astounded at how many times and places and key places that angels um, are, are seen in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. So when we look at this common confession about the incarnation and the, the ministry of Jesus, angels have a huge part. And so let me just tell you some of the ways that we see angels in the birth narrative of Jesus. The first appearance of an angel in the New Testament, is to Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest. A very common theme in the scriptures, his wife Elizabeth was barren, and they had prayed for a child. It was his turn to go in uh, into the temple, and Gabriel appears to him in the temple and says, do not be afraid, because he was afraid. You know, he's in the temple, and all of a sudden, this angelic, majestic being appears to him, and Zacharias is afraid, and rightly so. He says, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. By the way, there are two angels that are named in the scriptures, Michael the archangel and Gabriel. Yeah, there is an evil one named Lucifer, but what most angels are called good angels, and we have Michael and we have Gabriel here. And Gabriel tells Zacharias, next time, this time next year, your wife is going to have a son. And he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so this is where the birth narrative of Jesus begins, of angels attending to that story. Then Gabriel appears to Mary. And he tells her, Mary, who is unmarried, and she's a young virgin, you are going to bear the Messiah. How can this be, since I am a virgin? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Thus, this child will be, will be called the Son of God. And Mary, of course, sings the Mag- Magnificat because of this miraculous, supernatural thing that is going to happen to her. And then there's Joseph. I don't think Joseph gets enough credit when it comes to angels. We have the, the story of, of Jesus or uh, uh, Mary and, and Gabriel. Three times angel, angels appear to Joseph. Three times. In Matthew chapter 1, he's engaged to Mary. He finds out she's pregnant. He's trying to decide whether or not to divorce her and to get out of the, the, uh, the, uh, and, and the period and annulment from their engagement. And an angel comes to him. This one is not named. I think he's, his name is uh, Clarence. But <clears throat> could be. Who knows? Just not odd body. But anyway, this angel comes and says, do not be afraid to take her as your wife. And the angel names the baby. He will be called Jesus. This is what you're going to name your baby. He didn't have a choice in in choosing names. He will be called Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. The Lord saves. And then, after the birth, 
An angel appears to him again and says, take your family, take your wife, take the baby and go to Egypt because Herod wants to kill all the children. And then after a time, after Herod dies, an angel appears to to Joseph a third time. He gets three appearances and says, now you can go back. Herod is dead. Take your family and the son back to Israel. So that's just the beginning of the of the appearance of angels. Then, of course, the one that we sing about the most is the announcement of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2 that we read. An angel comes and then a multitude of angels come. And it's a huge story and it's a lovely story and it's a, it's a, a challenging story about the announcement of the birth of Jesus. The next time we see the mention of angels in the New Testament is uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. Jesus has been out there for 40 days and 40 nights without food, without drink. He's tempted by the devil and finally being successful and sinless. The devil goes away from him seeking another opportune time. And the Lord, his father, sends angels to attend to him because he was spent physically and emotionally and spiritually. And then the next time that we see angels mentioned in the New Testament is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus once again spends himself in prayer and deep prayer so much that he sweats drops of blood and he's in such anguish and God sends angels to attend to him at that point. There is one time in the life of Christ that we do not see angels, and that is at his crucifixion. He was left alone for that. God took a step back, and even the scripture says he could have called on his father who could have sent a legion of angels, but he didn't do it because he had to face the wrath of God alone, the full brunt of sin had to be poured out on the Son of God. And so there were no angels there to help him or to lift him up or encourage him or any such thing. He suffered alone. But on the third day, he rose again and an angel rolled away the tomb. And when the disciples came, there were angels in dazzling appearance and clothing that said, he is risen, he is not here. Then when he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, and the apostles were there and they watched him go up into heaven and two angels came and described to them, this is what's going on. He's going to come come back the same way that he has left. But the scriptures tell us, and you'll see it if you look in a concordance and and you search that out, he returns to earth with his holy angels. That phrase is used Frequently with his holy angels, the host of heaven. And they come back and they take part in the final judgment because they will separate the wheat from the chaff, the goat from the sheep, believers from unbelievers, and they are part of that great judgment. And then, of course, we see in the book of Revelation, angels worshiping him. Of course, even in the book of Revelation, the seven Angels of the seven churches, you just cannot get around the, the prominent place of angels in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And what's the upshot of that for us? Angels remind us 
of the reality of the spiritual world and the reality of spiritual worship. We have to remember that. There is a spiritual world. And our worship on Sunday mornings and our worship throughout the week, it is otherworldly. It is supernatural. It is somewhat miraculous. It is spiritual. And angels are watching, just as God is watching in this place. We just know that it is true. And we must be aware and not forget because it's easy for us to, to forget this, this realm that is beyond this realm. And we, 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 we read the scriptures and it's two-dimensional and we forget that there is a dimension on the other side. There's a reality that is real and miraculous and spiritual in which God is working wonderful and spiritual things. So we live a supernatural life. When you, when you come to Christ, you are born again. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you and the life that you live, you live in faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. And so your very life is spiritual because you can talk to God and God speaks to you through his word and he empowers you to live a holy life. It is a spiritual life of worship. And so that is the heavenly communication of the ministry and the mystery of Christ. But then there is the earthly part. The earthly proclamation of the the mystery, uh, pretty simple, proclaimed among the nations. We get that. He has to be preached. Christ has to be heralded. And the great commission was given to us to go out into the world and to preach the gospel. So our responsibility is to continue that proclamation to all the nations, not just America, not just to Jews, not just to those who will hear, but to all who have not heard. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, not one nation, not a few, not many, We're to leave no one out. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Of course, Jesus goes on to say, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is he with us? By his Spirit in a spiritual way. And he's working through us. And our proclamation is, is the same proclamation of the, the mystery of godliness. We, we tell people about his birth. We tell people about his incarnation. We tell people about his sinless life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. The gospel message. Mysterious. We have that responsibility to proclaim it on earth. Second part of this is that we need to remember that there is only one message for all people. Only one message. There are not many ways to Christ. There's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there's only one message for all people in Luke 2. remember, Remember what the angel said. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. All the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Remember when we were talking in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about the universal scope of the gospel? It is not just to be for Jews. It's not just to be for a certain nation or a certain type of people or gender or race or whatever. For all people. He came for all people. This, this great universal scope of the gospel. And we have to be on board with that. The good news for all people and the good news is the Savior was born and the good news is that he is Christ, he is Messiah and he is the Lord of all. From heaven to earth, from angels to humans, the mystery of godliness has been proclaimed and we continue to proclaim that mystery of godliness. And it's a mystery that bridges the gap between the unseen world and the seen world in which we live and the only one who bridges that gap is Christ. One mediator, Jesus Christ. It's important for us to remember the gospel is a supernatural mystery. It's mysterious, but it is supernatural. In Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is a supernatural message, and yet we, we have a tendency to make judgments about who we think is going to believe. We, we have a tendency to put a limit upon God's power. Uh, my hairdresser, she would never believe. Uh, the, the guy who, who's fixing my car, he's a lost cause. The girl who's friendly at the checkout line, well, she's probably a good candidate for the gospel. You may not know. We are not to discriminate. We are to tell the gospel to all people because it is the power of God to anyone who believes and to all who believes. And we don't know that is the work of God, but it's not up to us to decide who gets the gospel because of of our judgments about whether or not we think that they're going to be a good candidate. It does not work that way. And some of you were not good candidates, nor was I. And yet God, in his mysterious godliness, chose all of us to be his children. And so we have this supernatural mystery. Now, the conclusion of the matter is this. Conclusions, rather, a few points. We're talking about heaven and earth, bridging the gap from the heavenly to the earthly, from the unseen realm to the realm that we know of flesh and blood, the mystery of angels in the mystery of salvation. Salvation is a mystery. It is. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's talking to his audience and he says, he said it was revealed to them, it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. And he said, he, what he's saying is that the, the Old Testament prophets, they didn't understand who and the when of what they were preaching, that the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. But they knew that they were sent from heaven for this very purpose. And this mystery of the godliness This mystery of the gospel, Peter sums up this way. These are things into which angels long to look. 
they still shake their head. After all they've seen, it's not enough. They still go, wow, God is saving this person. And there's rejoicing in heaven. And they look at it with wonderment. And so should we. Do you ever think about the mystery of your own salvation? I do. Why would he love me? Think about it. Ponder that. Ponder your own salvation. Why would God love me? I'm not lovable. He knows what I have thought and said and done. Why would he choose me? I don't get it. I would not have. And yet he has. And it's important for us to ponder that and see that it is... It is mysterious. Yes, we can take away the mystery and and with theology. Well, God is love and he cannot not love us and he chose us for his glory. It's still mysterious. It's still mysterious that he would love me and you and that he would choose us to be his children. But it's wonderful. It is miraculous. It is beyond this world. It gives us a a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. That this God in human form appears from another realm and he comes to this earth to bring himself to us that he might bring us to himself. And he was part of a different realm in glory and he steps down and condescends. Coming to this world was not easy. It was not comfortable. In fact, the silent night and the holy night was just the calm before the storm. Because he would have a peaceful entrance into this world, but his exit would be with great violence. For me, for you, for us. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, and yet it is a wonderful mystery. So, to you, to us, be aware of the spiritual world around us. At Christmas time, I want you to think about it. I want you to ponder. I would encourage you to, to just be sensitive to the spiritual world that is around us. Again, we're two-dimensional, and we have a tendency to not look into that other realm. You can get carried away, yes, But even though we do not see the outward manifestations of the angels oftentimes described in the Bible, and we have a tendency to think, well, that was the Bible times. No, they're here now. They are in the here and the now. There is a real supernatural, spiritual reality that is part of the Christmas story, and we must embrace it to enjoy it and to worship properly and to, to accept it and to, to really uh, uh, enjoy all of Christmas and all of its, its meaning. It's not fantasy. It's not myth. It's reality. Back to Luke 2. In the same region, there were some shepherds keeping watch over their fields by night and their flocks. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, the shepherds. 
and they were terribly frightened. They're out there keeping watch over their flock by night, and all of a sudden there is this terror between dimensions from one world to another, and this angelic, supernatural being steps into this world right in front of them with the glory of the other world. And they're afraid, and rightly so. And the angel's message was, do not be afraid. I have come to you with good news. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then the text says, and suddenly, uses the word suddenly again, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. So this rip and this tear and this fabric of dimension, it widens and we see this heavenly scene of all of these angels coming forward into the earth. The, 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 the two worlds being, this gap being bridged by the supernatural. And the, this heavenly host, probably too many angels to even begin to count and they're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then the text says, when the angels have gone away from them into heaven, the curtain closes and it's night again and the stars are shining. And they say, well, then we need to go to Bethlehem and see this thing because we have been visited by the supernatural, by the miraculous. And so they go. This rift in between these two worlds is torn apart. Heaven is opened up and then it closes again. We see this glimpse into the angelic realm. And this is a picture of what happens in the incarnation. The heavenly comes into the earthly He comes into another dimension, another realm, into this physical world. And he will do it again when he comes back. In Revelation 6, it says, The sky will split like a scroll. Boom! And he comes back with his holy angels once again. We must not forget that. That is how it started and that is how it will end for us and angels are part of this. They're not fantasy stories. The Christmas story is true and real. And the world is obsessed with the supernatural, isn't it? The world is. A person is probably more apt to believe in angels than they are to believe that Jesus died and rose again. Are they not? And the world fancies stories of science fiction and superheroes and ghostly stories and ancient aliens. But God, uh, it's a bridge too far. They know that there's something. They don't know what it is. Their eyes are blinded. And we have the truth. We have what they miss. We long for it, but the world misses it because it is twisted and wrecked by sin. And they don't even know what they're longing for, that there's something else. Dickens had it right in A Christmas Carol. 
when the ghost of Christmas present, and it's just a story, yes, but the ghost of Christmas present takes Ebenezer Scrooge and, and they go to some houses and then they go to the seashore and then they go out onto the ocean into a ship and then they go to some other foreign lands and then they come back and everywhere they go on that Christmas night, there's a sense of peace and calm and people are singing and joyful and treating each other with kindness. It really happens that way at Christmas time. Haven't you seen it? Dickens had it correct. Go out on, on Christmas Eve day and do a little shopping. You guys, last you're doing your shopping. I know that's when you're doing it. People are kind. People are helpful. Yeah, I know there are some turkeys out there. But something happens. There's a mystery of Christmas that the world wants and we have. And so finally... Do not be afraid. Don't fear. Fear not. And proclaim what you have seen because the message is supernatural, it's powerful. And just tell people. Just tell people. And ask God to help you to tell them. This week you're going to run into people you don't know, never seen before, never met before, or people you've been praying for. Strike while the iron is hot. There is a spiritual world. It's not up to you to save anyone. But the angelic realm is there around us. In a hymn that it is not a Christmas hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, a line says this, My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to proclaim, to spread to all the earth the honors of your name. That should be our prayer at Christmas. Oh, God, assist us to proclaim to all the earth to bridge the gap from heaven to earth the honors of your name. Thank you, Father, for this great unseen realm and our participation in it. We pray that we might be people who proclaim the truth of Jesus' name without fear, because you, you have communicated to us our great, mysterious salvation. You have loved us. You have chosen us. And there are many, many more sons and daughters to come into your kingdom. And may we be part of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.